Our sermon text this morning comes from Jude, chapter 1, verses 17 to 23. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life, and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. This is the word of the Lord. Go ahead, if you haven't already, turn to the book of Jude. We have this Sunday, next Sunday, and then we're going to be jumping into the summer of Psalms again. While you're turning there, we'll go ahead and pray. Gracious and Heavenly Father, we again come to you. We have no other, we want no other, God. Purge every desire from our hearts that is not for you, that is not drawing us towards you, God, that is not, that turns our eyes away from you. God, purge those desires from our hearts. Let us so focus solely on your word that we might be transformed, God. Heal us in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our wandering, God. Heal our hearts and heal our minds. That we might know you better, that we might love you better, that we might serve you better, God, that we might worship you with a pure heart, and that we might glorify you in all that we do. Amen. The greatest adventure story ever told. It's not what you think. It's the Anabasis of Cyrus. Probably you've never heard of it. So what's happening here? You have the Macedonian uh, kingdom here. But before that, you have the, the Medo and the Persian Empire. And the king dies. And his son, his eldest son, becomes king, Artaxerxes II. And what's the worst day of your life when you're a king? It's your first day as being king. Because everybody that's been around you your whole lives, every eyes that are looking at you that helped raise you up and told you how great you were, now those same eyes, they want to kill you because they want your throne. And especially your brother. And that's what happens. Prince Cyrus raises up this army of mercenaries, brings them in, and this, they're going to rise up this Prince Cyrus and takes on Artaxerxes II. So they gather them all together, Greek mercenaries everywhere that's been pressed down by the Persian Empire. It's not hard to find people who want to fight against them. And they go up, and here's the beginning of the battle, and two hours into it, 
Prince Cyrus is killed. So now you're a Greek mercenary and you find yourself not in Greece, but now you're in the depths of the Middle Persian Empire right by the king who you just tried to overthrow. And you got to get back home. So this is the story of Xenophon who finds himself. He's just a regular guy trying to make a living. He's there. He finds himself through these miraculous acts in charge of this group of mostly Hophlite troops, 10,000 of them. And it's this amazing story as he's going from the depths of this kingdom and he's coming upon village upon village and town upon town and he has to be a statesman first to try to get through because he needs food to feed his soldiers and they can't just fight everybody and pillage every town. So he has to be a statesman first and when that doesn't happen, then he's got to be a general and then when that doesn't work out very well, then he's got to be a warrior himself. So it's this amazing story as he's leading his troops, keeping them all together, not keeping them from fighting themselves, but keeping them, trying to bring them to the Black Sea. And then when you get to the Black Sea, then you can find some ships. But there's no ships because every ship's been used to try to throw over the king. And so now you have to try to find some other ships. And it's this amazing story. And there's one thing that's driving him to go back home. He wants to be in the love and in the arms of his countrymen. And nothing will stop him. Famine or mountain passes nor anything else will stop him from this great love. As an aside, two generations later, there's this man... Philip of Macedon, who reads Xenophon, and it's his, auto, his autobiography. And he takes these tactics that these Greek soldiers used against the Persians to try to get out. He begins to work with him, and then his son, Alexander, Alexander the Great, uses these works of Xenophon then to take his troops back in to Persian and overthrow the kingdom. But what's driving him is this love, this great love. He wants to be in his, in his country. He wants to go home. He didn't fear death. He just longed for the love of his country and for the love of his people. And that's what we have here in our text this morning. Judas telling them to contend for the faith, yes. How do we contend for the faith? Well, one of the ways that we contend for the faith is by keeping yourself in the love of God. Keeping yourself in the love of God. We're going to see this in several ways here. The first uh, section here, verses 17 through 19. Is, again, don't be alarmed. Don't be alarmed. Don't be surprised when these... People rise up in your midst. Don't be alarmed. Again, we're being reminded of that. Don't be alarmed. That's verses 17 through 19. 21 and 22. This, this main drive of what he's getting at in this section is to keep yourself in the love of God. Keep yourself in the love of God. And then finally, verses 22 and 23. Not just yourself, but keep others. Keep others in the love of God as well. So, all right, so let's go back to the text here, verses 17 through 19. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, what did they say? In the last time there will be scoffers, 
following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. Now, Jude is reminding them again and again, contend for the faith. And why do we have to do this? Go back to the couple of these earlier verses. Why? Because the people have crept in. They've crept in on notice. And they, what do they do? They turn the grace of God into liberty and licentiousness and a, a reason to sin. And it's these people, don't be alarmed that it's just happening now. It happened with Egypt, it happened in Sodom and Gomorrah. Even the angels themselves look at them as a warning. So don't be surprised, Judas reminding them, don't be surprised when this happens and comes to your own local body. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what is he saying? Take in the whole counsel of God. It, this whole counsel of God, it's filled with hope and it's filled with glorious sayings and truths, yes, but it's also filled with warnings as well. So that you too might be filled with hope and filled with warnings. So a parent is not preparing their child well if they don't give them knowledge of the true understanding of the world. You don't want them to be naive. You're doing them no service whatsoever. To allow your children to be naive to the world and say everything's great and send them on their way. No, they'll get demolished. It's the same thing here as we see here with Jude. So what can you do? Well, look at Abraham. Yes, you can learn a lot from Abraham. Absolutely. Leave the land of Ur. Yes, Lord, I will leave it. Where am I going to go? It doesn't matter. Just go. Okay, yes, Lord, I will go. And he does that. He leaves his hometown. He leaves his people. He leaves his land. And he goes to a place. He doesn't even know where he's going. He's just walking because he was told to go. Oh, that's wonderful. Yes. But taking the full counsel of God. You can also learn from Abraham that he tried to take the promises of God in his own strength. Don't forget about that part. That, that's, that, that warning provides in richness for our souls as well. That the son of promise who's going to come. Be patient and wait. Brothers and sisters, be patient and wait. So part of what Jude is calling us to remember these predictions. He says, in the last time, there's going to be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. So what are they, we saw earlier that they're led by their own dreams. And of course, they're going to be scoffing at the word of God. Rather than following the way of Christ, they will be following what their own God, ungodly passions. And how do you spot them? Well, look here in verse 19. It is these who, what do they do? They cause divisions. They're not truly within the body of Christ. So it's impossible for them to bring unity and cohesion and love within the body of Christ. They're outside of the body. All they can do is call people to themselves, which will inherently cause division and fractures and broken relationships within the body of Christ. It's impossible. They will expose themselves eventually. You'll see them for what they are. They will cause division. And the worldly people as well, literally, they have the desires of animals. They're unable to control themselves. 
They're like wild beasts in their hearts, and it's only a matter of time again before it, it acts out. Think of it, they're animals, what controls to them is what are they going to eat? How are they going to make more children? It's the same thing, same, same thing here. Unless, you, unless what are they? they're devoid of the Spirit. They, they're not constrained by the Holy Spirit. They're not tied down by the Holy Spirit from these passions. They were going to freely, they will follow them. Such is your heart, such is my heart, apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. So when you read these, remember, brother and sister, it's not just them. You must be asking yourself, God, Lord, don't let that happen to me. Lord, let your spirit work in me, enliven my heart, dear God. So he says we have to remember these predictions. Where else do we see these predictions? In 2 Peter 3, basically gives it to him verbatim. So that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of our Lord and Savior, knowing first of all that scoffers will come in the last day with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. The Apostle John writes it this way. He gives him this warning. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father, where is the love of the Father? It is not in them. For all that is in the world, what is it? The desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life. It's not from the Father, but it is from the world. So that's the warning. Either you can have the love of God the Father or you can have the love of the world. You're not going to have both. And then what's the result here? Go a little bit further in 1 John chapter 2. Go down two more verses. Verse 19. They went on from us. But they were not of us. For had they been of us, they would not have left. This is the warnings, brothers and sisters. Be reminded of this. Be reminded of this. In the Hebrews, the author writes, For this reason, we must pay careful attention. We, not other people, but we. We must pay careful attention to what we have heard. So that we do not drift away from it. Notice, notice the subtlety of it. Just that you drift away. You don't make a stark turn. No, it's just a slow drift away in your heart and your soul. And then before you know it, the, the distance is too far and there's nothing you can do. Pay close attention. Our hearts are prone to wander. We sing it and we know that it's true. Your heart, my heart, we are prone to wander. So we're warned, but now what do we do? Well, let's go back to the text here, verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. What do we do? Keep yourself. Keep yourself in the love of God. In the passage, it tells us here. It tells us the how. How are we going to do it? The building and the praying. What are you going to do? You're going to keep yourself in the love of God. And then what's the result? What does that look like? Well, that you're waiting. All right? So let's look at this first part here. 
How do you do this? The building and the praying. This is the application. Normally it's at the end of the sermon. Jude gives us here, so here it is. Here's the application. Keep yourself building and praying. Your faith, above all else, it cannot be neglected. It must be nurtured and cultured and built up. A sculpture is, is, it just doesn't happen. It starts as a piece of granite and the thousands and thousands and thousands of careful blows of a hammer and a chisel and then you have it. It cannot be neglected. It cannot just magically appear. And that's actually one of the great hindrances of building up our faith is that we think it's already complete. You've been a Christian a while. All of those bigger sins, the socially noticeable sins, you push those away so you're not going to be outed. Good. Now I'm safe. Okay? And you think you've arrived. As though the, the flesh has already been subdued. Is that it? Do, do we have nothing else to repent of? Is your heart already purged clean? Think about it. Did you repent to anyone your sins this week? Did you? A friend, Alfred Edersheim, warns us that those who do not, those who do not weep over their sins will weep over the consequences of them. Weep over your sins. Repent over your sins. Build yourself up in the faith. Think of all the, the houses. So in our, in our family, we have the two different sides. We have this side here, which is pastors and, and they're, they're short German, pastors and missionaries. And then on this side here, moderately short German uh, farmers and construction workers. And all the houses and barns I've, I've seen built, seen being the operative word, they get me far away, of all the houses and barns I've seen built, not one of them, not one, has built itself. Careful toil and labor day after day, week after week, month after month. And then you have it. And it's constructed and it's beautiful and it's there. And you take a step back and you look at it. And in that moment, what begins to happen? It begins to decay. And then... Without even knowing it, you, you neglect it because you assume that it's done. This is the same thing we do with our faith. We think we've arrived. We think we're okay. We've pushed away the socially um, horrible sins. We've pushed them away. So we think we've arrived. And we begin to neglect it. And then before you know it, time goes by. And then you begin to look and you go, wasn't there a, I thought there was a barn there. All you see is a pile of rubble. Yeah, yeah, there was a barn there. What, wasn't it? Yeah, it was beautiful, yes. Was it useful? Absolutely it was useful. Lots of cows were milked there. Well, what happened? An explosion, a fire? No, nothing dramatic. Just one rotted board at a time. It begins to fall and it collapses with a whimper. 
Nobody even hears it. Nobody even notices it. And it falls in upon itself. And this is the fate of countless souls who start out well, but will never make it into the eternal kingdom. So what does the text say? Build yourself up. Building, building yourselves up. Notice even the tense of it. It's not past tense. It's not like, oh, you did a great job that one time you built up your faith. That was fantastic. You, you repented. You prayed the prayer. Fantastic. Come aboard. No, building yourselves up. Is it ever end? No. Is it ever complete? No, not this side of glory. Build yourselves up in the most holy faith. It's this continuous action that happens again and again and again. You cannot neglect it. All right, build yourselves up in the most holy faith. And how else do we do this? Well, we do it, we do it through prayer. Praying in the Holy Spirit. So if you want to keep yourself in the love of God, keep yourself in prayer. It's in our world of productivity, where we love to measure everything and count everything, this prayer is oftentimes the first casualty. Because it, you, you spend all this time, and you have nothing tangible to show. A pure heart. I mean, how do you really show that? Really? Does that matter? No. Give me something tangible. I want to study the Bible so that I can learn something so I can tell somebody else about it. That's what I want. Spend time in prayer. Well, that's not tangible. So in our world, just be aware this is the first thing to go. As you grow up, this is going to be the first thing to go. When you have children, oftentimes it's the first thing to go. Because you have no tangible result. So if you don't know, know what to pray, just pray through Scripture. Just go to the Psalms, start reading them, start praying through them. And if that doesn't work, just find some of their prayers. Read other people's prayers and pray them. It's this week, uh, Thomas Brooks, Puritan, English Puritan. I was reading uh, through some of his prayers. And he prays this. Lord, lay whatever burden you will upon me. Only let your everlasting arms be under me. Strike, Lord, and do not spare me. I lay down in your will. I have learned to say amen to your amen. You have a greater interest in me than I have in myself, and therefore I give myself up to you. I am willing to be at your disposal and ready to receive whatever impression you want to stamp upon me. Blessed Lord, again and again you have said to me, as one of the kings of Israel said to the king of Syria, I am yours and all that I have. I am yours, Thomas Brooks prays. Your mercy is mine to pardon me. Your blood is mine to cleanse me. Your merits are mine to justify me. Your righteousness is mine to clothe me. Your spirit is mine to lead me. Your grace is mine to enrich me. And your glory is mine to reward me. Therefore, my soul cannot help but to resign myself to you. Lord, here I am. So do to me what seems good in your own eyes. I know the best way to have my own will is to resign myself to your will. 
and to say amen to your amen. It's prayers like these that God uses to keep his sheep under his gaze, to keep them safe and to keep them deep, deep in his heart and in his love. Build yourselves up in the faith. Don't neglect it. Build yourselves up. Also, pray. Pray in the Spirit. Pray through Scripture. If you can't find, find a way to pray through Scripture, read other people's prayers. Keep yourselves in prayer, and you will keep yourself in the love of God. All right. So what do we do then? What's the main drive that Jesus is getting at? Keep yourselves Keep yourselves in the love of God. Through building up your own faith, through prayer, you will keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep as though you're a guard and you're watching over something. You're watching over yourself. You're watching over your own faith. And notice the object here. What are you to do? Keep yourself. Keep yourself in the love of God. Not just others. We'll get to that. Yes, but keep yourself in the love of God. It's okay to be selfish in this. Mothers, especially. It's okay. Yes, you love your children more than you love yourself. You should. And you, you pray with your children, and that's admirable. But also let them see you praying in private. Weeping over your own sins. Repenting before God in solitude. Let them see that. Yes, you read the Bible to them. Good, you should, that's admirable. Build them up in the faith too. But let them see you reading your Bible by yourself. Will you push them aside and say, no, you're, you're not as important as God. Let them see that. And in doing so, you will not only keep, your, keep yourself in the love of God and nurture your own soul, but then you will build up your children as well because they see the focus point isn't them, but it's actually God. Build yourselves up in the faith. Don't neglect your own soul. Let me tell you about this love of God. That even while you were in your sin, you hated God. You hated God. Even while you're in your own sin, you hated God, but God loved you. And God demonstrates, Paul writes, his own love for us in this way. How does he show us his love? That while we were still yet sinners, in the state of our own sin, Christ died for us. So even when we are in our sin, God loves his people. And the love of God, not only that, not only does it come to us before we deserve it or even want it or even have any idea of what it is, but the love of God is the, the plea of the broken heart. Save me, O oh Lord my God, save me, what? According to your unfailing love, the psalmist writes. How priceless is your unfailing love, O oh God. People take refuge in the, in the shadow of your wings. So the love of God comes to you before you even know it exists, but comes to you before you want it, when you still want everything else that the world can offer you. You want that rather than God. And in that way, the love of God just comes and blindsides you. 
even while you're sinners, God's love comes to you. And in the midst of your brokenness, the love of God is the plea of this broken heart. But the love of God can only come to you one way, and that is through Christ. John writes, see what great love the Father has lavished on us. That we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Later on, next chapter, he writes, This is how God showed his love among us. How did he do it? How does God show us his love that comes to us while we are still yet sinners? How does he show his love? He sent his one and only son into the world so that you might live and that you might live through him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son as the propitiation, as the, as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. John 16. The Father himself loves you because, why? Because you have loved me and have believed that I have come from God. The love of God, the Father, comes to you through Christ. There's no other way. This great treasure that we have that all of the world wants. They don't know it. They're seeking it in every other way. They want it and you can have it. But you can only have it through Christ. And you can only have it through believing in him. There's no other way. Keep yourselves in this love. God being rich in mercy. Why? Because of the great love. That he had for us, even when we were dead in our sins. He made us alive together through Christ. And this steadfast love shall endure forever. We'll give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. So this great love will come to you. Okay, how do we, how do we build up our faith? Well, we, we build it up. We don't neglect our faith. We pray. Then we have this, that's how we keep ourselves in the love. And then what's the result here? What's the result of us keeping? Well, you, have a, you wait. You wait. Waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. The love of God comes to you and you build yourself up through all of this and through prayer. And what do you do? This world that you lived in, that you loved, you just don't care. Everything you, you fought for your whole life, you realize it doesn't matter and this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. Dear God, please Come. I know you love in part now, but give it to me in full measure. Dear, come, Lord Jesus. That is how you know you are being kept in the faith. You want a good litmus test of how you're doing? Do you long to go to your true home? Or do you long for things of this world? Okay. So don't be alarmed. Verses 17 through 19. Don't worry. This has happened before. Don't be surprised. What do we do? We keep yourselves in the love of God. 
And then when we do that, when we keep ourselves in the love of God, then you can keep others in the love of God as well. Look at verses 22 and 23. Have mercy on those who doubt. Saving, save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Don't just keep yourself in the love of God. Do that first. And then keep others in the love of God. Because if, it's not selfish, but if you don't keep yourself in the love of God, how are you going to do it to others? You can't. You have nothing to give. You're spiritually dead. And grammatically here, there's, there's a little bit of, on one hand this and on the other hand that. And what you see here is that you have to know the difference. When you're coming to your brothers and sisters in Christ, know the difference between the weak and the willful. Those who are sin, sinning in their weakness and those who are willfully sinning against the Lord. So on the one hand, to the weak, what do you do? Well, you show mercy on those who doubt. So when your brother is discouraged, weep with him. Weep with him when he's discouraged. Don't use it as a position to posture and show your great faith. No, don't be foolish. Weep with him who is weak in the faith. But to the willful, on the other hand, what do you do? You save them by snatching them out of the fire. In the old Greek writings, this word to be used often as a soldier who could be working out in his field, but then the other armies would be coming and he would have his, his, uh, his gear right there and he would snatch it up and then head off. This is also the same used throughout the New Testament, in the context of the battle between Satan and the kingdom of heaven, used quite often in the parable of the sower. It is the evil one who comes and snatches the word of God out of the heart of the hearer. So what is Jude saying? Snatch your brother. Snatch your sister. Don't allow the, the obstinance of someone else's sin to be an excuse for you to stand idly by. Their sin is not so repulsive that you shouldn't be willing to storm hell itself to grab them before the hell's fire and consumes them and pull them to the mercies of God. What Jude is saying, basically, is what Christ has done for you as you were joyfully going, marching, running headlong into sin and hell. And the word of God comes and enlivens your heart. All he's saying is what Christ has done to you. Well, do that for other people. Don't let them fall headlong into their sin. Of course they're going to. Rescue them. Snatch them. Don't let them fall away. So brothers and sisters, keep yourselves. Keep yourself in the love of God. N nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. Your career, anything else in this world, it does not matter. Do whatever it takes to keep yourself in the love of God. Joyfully neglect everything else to keep yourself in the love of God. And how do you do it? Well, you build up your own faith. And you pray. Pray through the scriptures. Read other people's prayers. And when you've done that, don't stand idly by. Weep with those who weep. Have mercy on those who doubt. And those who are sinning willfully 
Don't stand idly by, run after them, snatch them, pull them, drag them into the mercies of God. Let us pray, let us pray. Our great God, we, we thank you for sending your Son who loved us even though we didn't deserve it, even though we didn't want it. God, even while we were sinners, your Son Christ has died for us. God, keep us in this love. Enable us by your Spirit to do the things that you have commanded us to do. Work in our hearts this upcoming week to neglect the things of this world. To press everything aside so that we might have time communing with you, building up our own faith. God, give us time to pray. And God, let us have mercy on the weak. And let us run after those who are diving headlong into their sin. and Snatch them from the fire of hell. Amen. Amen.